2: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast. And first up, we have my interview with the star and producer for Poor Things, Academy Award winner Emma Stone, along with Academy Award-nominated director Yorgos Lanthimos. followed by Emma Sassek's interview with Academy Award-nominated screenwriter Tony McNamara, and concluding with my interview with one of the film's stars, Academy Award nominee Willem Dafoe.
0: I am Bella Baxter. I'm a flawed, experimenting person. I seek outings and adventures. Bella's so much to discover.
3: You're the most beautiful woman
2: I've ever seen. I am finding being alive fascinating. <laughs> Bella.
0: Why I keep it in my mouth if it is revolting?
2: Uh, Yorgos, Emma, first of all, what a pleasure. One of the best films of 2023. And your hot streak of working on The Favourite and now... Poor things is just continuing. Uh, rapturous applause from everyone, including myself. The Golden Lion win at Venice. How are you two feeling so far about the overall reception before its official theatrical release? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell me how your working relationship has evolved <laughs> since first working together on The Favorite and into Poor Things?
0: Um, well, we met a. Like almost two years before we made the favorite, so we had sort of formed a friendship by the time we we worked on the favorite, and then we just had a great time working together. And he told me about poor things, kind of like right after we finished the favorite. And it was many years before we actually made it. So, how do you think our relationship has evolved? What it has saying?
3: become uh, more trusting uh we've definitely you know become closer as friends we uh communicate effortlessly um and even if it is to fight about things (laughs) which is very important and And very useful uh to know that you can you know say whatever it is that you want to say to the other person and it's going to be fine in the end So, yeah, I think, you know, like any relationship, we just get to know each other more and more. And we love working together and we just want to keep doing it.
2: I was told uh, recently uh, by somebody, I was having a conversation about how the best collaborators will push each other to the limits. And sometimes that can be contentious, but like in a creative sort of way, to either push you out of your comfort zone, just simply trying to make the other person better. What would you say was the one aspect? in developing poor things that the two of you maybe were a little contentious on, but it ended up becoming this blossoming idea that you both were satisfied with. I don't think we become contentious in our relationship. No, it's Mm -hmm. very
0: temporary. If we have a disagreement about something, we usually get through it pretty quickly. I think that's good.
3: So, yeah, it was just about tackling, you know, the material, which was more challenging, you know, for both of us in many different ways. but I don't think we had to, like, push each other or more, more like you know, help each other
2: and inspire each other. Sure, absolutely. And Emma, I think you're doing some of the most incredible work I've seen you do, and you've had many <laughs> prior to this. I I love the character of Bella Baxter so much. I think she is going to be honestly like an icon in many years' time in cinema like history for a lot of people. Just curious to know. How do you guys chart the course of her development throughout the film? Does it start with the screenplay? Does it find itself in the editing room? What is the back and forth conversation like between the two of you on set? Because it is such a gradual and organic development for that character arc.
0: I mean, I think because it's based on a on a book, you know, and then Tony adapted that, and he, and he and Jorgos worked on the on the screenplay for many years. Um, so I think. The, the birth of all of that does come from the script. And then we had about a month, I mean, we had many years of, of talking about things, but we had about a month of rehearsals with the other actors and Yorgos and I would work on sort of her physicality and different stages of her development so that we could refer to that if we were shooting out of sequence. Um, But a lot of that is discovered on the day, too, when you're when you're shooting and when you're actually in the environment, you know, and not just in like a rehearsal room.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think production design had a huge amount to do with it because it was such a specific world that was built from kind of Bella's perspective and costumes, obviously, hair and makeup that really long hair. And for Willem, you know, his prosthetics and so many elements, I think, came together to to sort of inform all of that. And then in the end, it, it is editing too, because then you're yeah. shaping all of these things. And that, so all of the above, I guess.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. Of so, yeah. Yeah. So the environment, the design of the world, working with these amazing actors as well, opposite you, Emma, I think you have scenes pretty much with every single person uh, involved in the cast of this film. Um, Yorgos, I've been told by a lot of people that the vibe on set was extremely freeing. Uh, people were able to, especially during the rehearsal period, really iron out their characters. Can you talk to me a little bit about giving the actors that space to create and how that led to these really just ingenious performances from everybody?
3: Well, yes, I think it's important to, uh, well, first of all, choose well, like choose the right people for the job. Uh, and then um really the, the best thing you can do is provide that kind of uh safety and an environment that allows uh for experimentation and for people to feel like they have nothing to lose and they're going to be supported by their fellow you know actors or crew or whoever. so I think the and and the and the the rehearsal process really helps with that uh because we don't really, rehearse the scenes as they're going to be performed. We just, you know, built this company, this group of actors that are just like playing games and getting to know each other and getting to feel comfortable with each other and don't not feel embarrassed if they mess up or if they do something stupid or ridiculous or, and, you know, we all have fun and, you know, laugh a lot about it. And it it kind of carries through when we're actually filming. Uh, and that you know that's I think the most important part and then you know the actors you know do their their job and you know there's very little that I can do to help them and whatever that is I try to provide it during filming and then during editing as you say shaping those performances but it's mainly by have them having them having given me you know all these you know very nuanced um you know versions and takes in their performance that, Enable me to do that,
2: Emma. What was the one day on set where you had a pinch me? Oh my God! I cannot believe this is my job, and I'm doing this moment.
3: All right,
0: he knows that my I'm, I I have a um, a
3: fear of examples. A
0: fear of examples. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> An example of a doing. Um, oh God, all, all the all the time no, on this one. Bad. But it's true. Oh
2: boy. <laughs> I particularly have to single out the scene where Bella dances on the dance floor with (laughs) Duncan. That one. Yeah. (laughs) Take it. That that was just such a joy to watch. It
0: was probably the day of the dance. Um, No, I, I, no, really, I, 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 on this one, it was, it was because the, the environments were so, you know, gorgeous and, and detailed and, dynamic. It was really like every day looking around, it was like you were in a completely altered sort of universe. So it was all pretty amazing. And because she's developing so much, you know, there's a lot of like, I don't know, every day had something kind of fascinating about it. So it is hard to single something out. In fact, the only thing, the only day that was really rehearsed was the dance day, you know, properly rehearsed. So that one actually was probably less so, like, pinch me, I'm doing this, because we had done it so many
3: times.
2: So you failed. <laughs> yeah. No, you didn't. example.
0: You didn't. It was a good example.
2: Understandable. There's been all this discourse lately about sex in movies and how this is, like, something that should be, for some reason, purified and we should not be doing this in movies anymore. I feel like your film just flies in the face of that and is almost like a rebuttal saying, nope, screw that, this has a place in cinema. Was that ever on either one of your minds when making this film?
3: No. No, never. I, it has never been on my mind when I'm, whatever I, it is that I'm making, I think I'm just trying to be true to what the story is, true to the characters. It would have been ri- totally ridiculous to you know, write this character and show this character who has no shame, no judgment about anything uh, that, you know, uh, and experiences life in her own terms. Uh, and all of a sudden, when it comes to sex, like start being crude about it and, you know, not be able to show anything. So it, we ne- it was never there was never a second thought uh, about that, especially, you know, in this film.
2: Well, I will say, though, that every crowd I've seen uh, the film with, everyone always has a tremendous reaction to all elements of Bella's journey, whether it's the comedy or her discovering herself, her standing up to men who are looking to take advantage of her. Whatever it is, the movie is uh, just crafted in such a crowd-pleasing way. I know for you, Emma especially, you didn't have the opportunity to see it uh, because of the strike uh, during its initial world premiere, have you had the chance to watch it with several audiences uh, lately? No, oh no, you have never, never. Interesting. You got to change that. <laughs> <laughs> it, Maybe it, at some it, point,
0: it, I don't know. You know, I was I was devastated not to be in in Venice, especially. I think because it was you know the first time that it was that I was ever going to be out in the world, and um. You could, it squishes it's a ring that squishes and i can't. <laughs> But then i've also realized you know like tonight we have the premiere mm-hmm. and we're going to dinner during it because the idea actually of sitting and watching that movie with an audience with me in there is actually as much as the idea of it was exciting to me i think i it would be hard it would be hard to do that's fair you know? that's okay and be able to like have the experience so it's so it's okay but it absolutely was, sad to
2: miss. I know that your collaboration is continuing uh, with your next project together. Um, I imagine that we can probably look forward to more in the future. Um, I just would like to know one answer from each of you about the other. What is the single element that you both enjoy the most working with each other? He's very funny. (laughs) Yeah, there you go
0: you really mean that? You really think I'm funny? Really? Because no. I tell him every day how funny I am.
3: <laughs>
0: he probably finds that funny. <laughs> yeah,
3: I find that very funny. That she thinks is funny.
0: So funny. He also is actually funny, but he's, um. I mean, it would be impossible to answer a single thing, but I, I would mm-hmm. say overall, the the best thing about working with him or why, why I love working with him over and over again is just because of yorgos over and over again how's that better okay um is you're sitting next to me this is like (laughs) on camera um (laughs) it's not wait this isn't on video no it is on video see then we have to
3: do the whole thing again
0: (laughs) (laughs) um i guess you know the best parts about it to me working together are just that level of, of trust and and of um in and faith that he is, you know, that he will find, you know, the version of of every aspect of the film um that best serves it and is original and, and uh that he knows what he's doing. It's an amazing, you know, very freeing thing for an actor with a director to feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Well, your performance is certainly original. The world you both created uh, is certainly original. And I adore this film, top to bottom. Every department head, everything that went into the making of this movie is just a joy, truly. So to both of you, thank you so much for poor things. And I cannot wait uh, for what you guys have cooking with uh, Kind of Kindness. Uh, hopefully next year, we'll see. As Times of say kind of
0: kind. Oh, this is oh, who made this dead. dead? kinds
2: of kindness oh okay that is, that's right spread the word you spread the word <laughs> we're gonna do what we can over here absolutely
3: maybe yes. it wasn't
2: hit poll. maybe the journal is printed yeah, yeah. yeah. that's true that's true kinds of, well, kindness. Kind of kindness well we look forward to seeing more from both of you uh, in the near future and thank you all so much for the time once again and for the film thank, thank you, you so much thank you have a good day you too.
0: I must go punch that baby.
4: We must experience everything, not just the good, but degradation.
5: Shall we sing?
4: Horror.
1: Emma, I'm good. Nice to meet you.
5: Very nice to meet you too. I'm so excited to chat with you about this fun, oh. crazy, wild world. <laughs> I think that that's one it of it? the easiest terms.
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. I know, um, it's pretty wild.
5: I know, I, I, I just saw it the other day and I was just so floored by some of the things that these characters get to say, certainly the things that they get to do. I've heard Emma Stone describe this as truly her favorite character that she's ever, ever been able to play. How is it for you being able to live in, through Bella Baxter's eyes?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. I know Emma's still like, she's like, I miss her. Um, <laughs> And I think, yeah, she was just such a great character to write in a way because because we could, like in the book, her story is not told. It's told by other people. So when we yeah. came to adapt the film, we were like, you know, Yorgos is like, let's put her at the centre of the film and we'll find a way, we'll kind of invent the story of what happened to her, which was fun because we could be true to the spirit and the premise of the book, but we could also like go our own way. And she was just a great character because she was just, Discoverer, just like just going to discover the world and have a completely intuitive reaction to it all, and be kind of society couldn't get its hooks in her. And she's just seen this cool shame, didn't have a didn't be part of her. It was just kind of like, wow, what a great satire to write about us, but also what a great story to tell about this woman. So, yeah, so yeah, and then Emma doing it was like beyond. I mean, she's (laughs) incredible. it's just like, wow.
5: I know. I um, appreciate her as a woman, as a woman myself. It's fun to see and kind of get to revisit in a way myself learning a little bit about the world. And as you meet different people, as she travels, and really as you yourself get to go out, um, you see other people trying to dim her lights a little bit. I guess, all of this does speak about society um do you maybe hold some of these cynical views of society (laughs) yourself or are you maybe more of an optimist (laughs) i'm
1: like as a person i'm actually an optimist maybe yogos is a bit more cynical than (laughs) me but um no but i think i'm like a satirist on some level so i am i was very like I, i there is something in me sometimes that's like what the why do people what's with the control people (laughs) you know what I mean it's like why are you like why is there such an insistent thing in human beings and maybe men in particular when it comes to women but all human beings to control each other's thoughts and ideas and bodies and and how we perceive everything and what we think the rules should be and why you know why isn't that a more individual kind of thing so I think I do have that I have a very what's just can we leave each other the fuck alone (laughs) to live our lives? Is that a, is that a thing? Is so, that so hard yeah, to do? Is that so hard to do? But it is so hard to do for us because there is something in in human beings that feels like they need to control each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So that is just something fundamental. And so the two sides of that were kind of an interesting dynamic in the movie.
5: And obviously following the social codes and what is polite yeah. society as as you put it in the film, all of yeah. those different rules that we abide by.
1: Yeah, so it was great to have a character who couldn't abide to them by them because she didn't know them, but then sort of still couldn't abide by them because they were so antithetical to her intuition and her discovering the world in a curious, non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. So it just was so rich in that way, ideas-wise, philosophy-wise, and also it was fun. Like he, I knew I could write a really fun movie within that and a really funny movie.
5: I, I do have to admit that I haven't had a chance to read the uh, the original novel that this is based off of. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, her story is told a lot through other characters' eyes. I'm also curious about some of these uh, very interesting uh, characters, but also, I mean, half duck, half pig, all these experiments. Are th- those some you know ex- extra details in there did that come from you and Yorgos getting to uh be masterminds in this mad science lab yourself or did a lot of that come from the novel itself I think
1: bits came from the novel but a lot of it was us creating the world of the it indicate it's sort of like how do we create a world and I think you're always start when you start a movie is, you're putting the audience in a world so you have to tell them it's a fantasy world okay. and it's you know it was very Um, important to us that we were telling quite a lot quite quickly. It's a period world, but it's also a fantasy world because there's pigs sewn together with chickens. And then there's, you know, so it was even the design had that. So we were always going, how do you tell the audience? It's not a real world. It's a slightly pushed world. But also then how do we have the dialogue and the characters emotionally grounded and layered in a way that people could kind of feel it? Um, so, yeah, I guess that's like just the trick, the kind of like work you do to make it work.
5: Who would you say or what would you say was your favorite thing to write in this story? Because we get her at different points in time, different cities with all these different people. Yeah, I think
1: I really loved writing the I mean, the love affair with Duncan is obviously oh, yes. <laughs> it's just so fun and funny. And it was a great, I you know, the idea of taking this cat and pulling him apart and, and knowing that, and even though he wasn't, and I really wanted him not to be a malicious cat or a sociopath, or like just a guy who had, didn't have a clue <laughs> how to deal with anything. And and that was part of the satire. Was like, you know, people like have the right, say their instinct is to love someone, but then they're, they manifest that through control. And they manifest that through why can't you behave the way I want you to. And it's still, it is a kind of love, but they they don't know how to do it if they're not controlling it and they don't know. So I wanted that to be, he, and also he didn't understand someone who wasn't just part of society and wasn't playing by the rules. And and that's really what tore him apart because he completely flipped his world, flipped his view of himself, so he became something he hated. You know, it was, it was just such a rich thing and then you get Mark doing it and you're like we're off to the races, Mark Ruffalo's tearing it
5: up. <laughs> he got such big laughs from everybody in my audience. I mean, he yeah, he tra- so he's, he's charming, but he's also so vile and it's a perfect balance between
1: him. Yeah, he really, yeah, he pitched that so perfectly, so perfectly.
5: With Bella Baxter, um, especially in the beginning of the film, as we really see her in this infant-like state, which makes sense knowing where she has come from, yeah. I was so impressed with Emma's behaviorisms and just the mannerisms that she displays. I guess in your mind, uh, did you write all of those different things like truly walking so lopsided or throwing all this food around?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I wrote the throwing food and the kind of like pissing herself and um, (laughs) stuff like that and going in circles, a little bit of that. But then her physicality, her and Yorgos worked on a lot. In terms mm-hmm. of, I think at the start they were watching toddlers and babies, mm-hmm. but then they re- you know, then the, Emma was like, "Well, she's actually an adult. Her bones aren't forming, so she can't move like that. I have to find a way to move that's different." So yeah, a little bit of the script and a lot of yoga. And Emma working together on her physicality and how she mm-hmm. would move and how that would evolve, in the same way that language evolves, her physicality evolves all the time. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, they had to match up and all that kind of
5: stuff. And I think it's also very interesting, you know, so much of this film is focused on her sexual exploration, which, you know, in a number of other films, in a number of societies, cultures, uh, especially when it comes to a woman, she is told to suppress her sexuality, to not really enjoy the act of having sex with whoever her partner is. Um, And that is the total opposite with this film. You really just wanted to let this girl go wild and explore every pleasure and maybe not so pleasurable part about it. Um, Why, you know, why focus on that route so much and versus, you know, letting her go through even more human experiences per se? I think it
1: was a mix of like, because the love affair was part of it and the kind of like, I think it was a, it was well, a bunch of things. And everyone is, Emma was talking about last night, everyone is focused on the sex. But she has constant discovery. And, of course, she discovers her sexuality by herself and then she discovers love and she discuss- And she doesn't have shame. She is a discoverer mm-hmm. uh, and unjudgmental about it. She's just like, what is the next curiosity I have? And the sex thing, you know, A, you were telling, com- on some level it's a coming-of-age story. Yeah. So it's like, well, we can't not show her... Contending with her sexuality, and we can't. In the same way, we're like she discovers food, Portuguese tarts, and is drinking, and <laughs> she's like more. And her answer to everything is more, more sex, more Portuguese tarts, more drinking, <laughs> until there's a point where she's like, oh, "You're more Duncan," and then it's a point is like, "Oh, all those things have a cost of more," and so. But she's discovering all these tastes and and then she's discovering books, and then she's discovering. So there was a constant evolution in what she discovered and I guess sex for her was like a, a a kind of way you know her sexuality is it's one thing they wanted people tried to control more than anything else in a way so it was that it was like how to show her contending with that but it was also a way into her a political like the brothel is a way into her pol- becoming a political person mm-hmm. and becoming a person who can self-create and a person who's not understanding society's rules and thinks it's so I thinks she can just go, well actually, let's change the rules of how brothels work. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think it was it was everything. I think her evolution was got to be, you know, was always going to be sexual, political, emotional, intellectual, and also like existential in you know, a like, I am creating myself. You know, it was like, did he create her? And in the end, he's like, I didn't. You've created yourself through this journey. You know, so that was sort of how we looked at it.
5: I think we need Bella Baxter in political political office. I mean, she seems the most free and most open to everything.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's true, right? I mean, it's just sort of like, uh it is that thing of, you know, we are in a very controlling society and, you know, mm-hmm. we built, just, what did he call it yesterday? The monstrosity of the society we've built. <laughs> it's like... I-
2: Right, so.
5: And I mean, you know, it's, uh, it is interesting, because this film is so, so colorful, and so fun, and you can't help but laugh in certain moments. But I myself, and I'm sure many other people watching it, they just really felt this immense connection to Bella and this urge to really want to be as free as you possibly can be free, despite other forces of nature trying to bog down on you. Um, I'm sure that was probably very exciting to write a character like this. Could you did you feel like this was like any other character for you yourself? And how did you know, how did you connect Uh, to her? I
1: think think it wasn't. And I think that's why Emma, in a way, we've talked about it. Like, you know, she misses Bella. And I think for me writing it, I was like, well, what if you were just as me as a person? writing that character it did make me go what if what if you could become a person who was just a sort of optimistic adventure found life as an optimistic adventure where you were just curious about the next thing and you could let yourself have those moments and you could let yourself be and you could leave yourself alone and you could get society to leave you alone to discover yourself in a different way from the lanes we're just sort of unconsciously put in very early on that we sort of almost don't know we're in. And so there was that. I was like, oh, wow. And, you know, I think she had that experience too of like you would love more of her in you as a person. And I think that's, I felt that when I was writing it, she felt that when she acted it. And it's nice that I feel like people do feel that, you know, that sense of like, that would be amazing. That would be very liberating to have at least some of that in you.
5: It makes you wonder what what might be possible, how different you would be at the end of the day,
1: oh, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I think that's the thing you don't you don't know, and we we sort of are a bit trapped in our ideas of ourselves and our. and society traps us in an idea before we've even we're even out. you know, and I remember I have little kids at the time I was writing, and they were asking me all these questions or I would tell them there was some rule or something, and they'd literally <laughs> question it and be like, doesn't make any sense and I I literally ended up going yeah I know but that's what we're doing that's yep yep and know uh, it's a real of subsist- I know society doesn't really make sense we're just all doing it okay can we all go <laughs> We all just come along on that ride but it was stupid but I was having those conversations so that did inform the idea of what if these kids could just could not have that you know
5: Yes, it would be an interesting world for all of us. Yes, yeah, totally. I
1: don't know what it would be, but it would be probably more interesting.
5: <laughs> Tony, I have to wrap up, but I just want to thank you so very much for your time and your conversation today.
1: Thanks, Emma. It was lovely. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day.
4: Sadness. And we can know the world.
1: And we know the world...
4: Ours.
2: No more. No more. Oh. Too much. Hello everyone, I am being joined right now by one of the greatest actors alive on the planet. It is my pleasure to be interviewing Academy Award nominee Willem Dafoe for his role in Yorgos Lanphimos's Poor Things. Willem, welcome to the show. How are you?
4: Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's amazing
2: to have you here uh, because you have such an amazing career, so many great roles to speak to. But I want to know, curiously, just starting from the beginning with Poor Things, what was the first Yorgos Lanthimos film that you remember seeing that made you go, I want to work with that guy someday? And then how did Poor Things land in your lap?
4: Okay. I I think it was uh, the first film I probably saw was uh, Dogtooth. But I think, well, with time, I had seen all his films. And I think... I thought this guy's great. Uh, he has a really uh, specific uh, vision. Uh, I liked his movies a lot, but you know, sometimes you think, um, "Oh, you can like a filmmaker, but you can't imagine yourself in one of his movies." Um, so I wasn't particularly fixated or, or thinking that I, he would. Uh, you know, ever be working, I would ever be working with him. But I think when I saw The Favorite, something shifted. And then I saw him on the circuit of interviews and things like that, that year. And then I started to form an idea that, wow, I would, maybe I could work with this guy. Maybe, maybe he could use me. Um, (laughs) And then Emma stone and yorgos put a call into me and they were very direct and they said this is what we're doing we'd love you to play this character this is who he is and uh this is when we want to do it what do you say we'll send you the script i read the script i adored it it's like moronically simple
2: oh yeah but i I mean you're presence in the movie adds so much to the overall tone of what they're going for. I think of someone that's playing mad scientist uh, with a heavy makeup job. I, too, would want Willem Dafoe uh, in my film. <laughs>
4: okay. I bristle at the word mad scientist.
2: Well, the things that he's doing are definitely unconventional, but he has a heart of gold, for sure. Yes, of course. And I have to imagine that had great appeal to you uh, to play a character that... I think has gone through a tremendous amount of personal trauma, uh, but is someone that um, is also conveying a great amount of love through his work and also bestowing it upon his creations.
4: But I wasn't aware of that until we actually did the movie. You know, (laughs) Uh, the beauty is the beauty is the relationship he has with her, which isn't seems like maybe it's kind of smarmy at the beginning, but then you realize that eh, there is a love story there and there's no model for it. You know, he's not a father figure. Exactly. He's not uh, a mentor. Exactly. He's a little bit of any, uh, many things and given his history and his dedication to science and his hopes for a better life for her and for himself. Um, There is something touching, but you don't know that until you do it. I don't read it necessarily and recognize that until you actually play those scenes. What I did respond to is just working with Emma, working with Yorgos, um, this fantastical invented uh, Victorian age, Uh, then some fun challenges, you know, the makeup, working with a mask like that, with with an accent, uh, with a period film. There were many pleasures. So you don't know what it is till you get there, but you do have some instincts about why you're drawn to it.
2: Yeah. Do you like to do deep dive background on your characters before you get to set, like kind of formulating what their backstory is? It it
4: depends. Sometimes, you know, the the only... uh, I do whatever research I need to do to feel like I have the authority to pretend, you know, Mm -hmm. to say, I am this guy. Yeah. You do create experience or you take, get information that makes you feel like it gives you a place to start. But often, you know, it's not, it's not always conventional research. It's usually learning to do the things that they do. And that's a practical thing and at the base of all performing it's doing things so i did learn how to suture i i come from a medical family so i grew up around labs and surgery and all that stuff um so it was in my blood a little bit <laughs> and uh too bad my father's not around to see me play a surgeon <laughs> <laughs> um but uh there were, there were lots of things floating around and, and also what was very helpful was, uh, I looked at, uh, videos of, uh, the writer of the novel. Yeah. And while Tony McNamara did a beautiful job adapting it, it's quite faithful in other ways. And then other things have been changed. For example, the, the story in the novel is told from many points of view, uh, where, mm-hmm. It comes very much from uh, Emma's point of view in, in the film. But I listened to videos of the the writer, and he was quite eccentric and quite interesting, and he was sort of an inspiration for the character. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that in terms of like inspiration from the novel versus also McNamara's uh, screenplay. But it sounds mm-hmm. like you pulled
4: together from all different uh, resources here. You know, you play scenes
2: mm-hmm. is what
4: you do. Yeah. You play the reality, you play the actions. When you
2: are discussing his character with Yorgos, mm-hmm. what what direction does he uh, give you for where you want to take this? Or does he leave it all up to you?
4: I, it's, there's no discussion. We do. Yeah, we do things we we play around. He's he's a very um, cultured guy. He knows many things about many different disciplines. So he's fun to be around. He teases you a lot, (laughs) makes fun of you sometimes in a very playful way. If you go to any bag of tricks, he busts you immediately. I, I don't think I'm particularly prone to that, but I think everyone is to some degree. He makes the world like all good directors. This isn't absolute, but a lot of the time I feel like my best experiences are where a director makes the world so complete that the world, the situation tells you what to do. Yeah. No discussion necessary. The world takes on its own logic and you step into that water and it carries you as long as you step in the right way. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and I have to imagine being surrounded by all those practical sets and just the work that goes into the craftsmanship of this movie. It definitely helps inform a lot.
4: There's a lot of stuff that's sweetened in post, Mm -hmm. but my part in particular, that house, was just uh, beautifully made. Uh, It had such incredible detail. When I wasn't actually shooting, I'd usually hang out on set and I go and I just look at all the props and take some of the books out of the bookcase. And they weren't just like fillers. They weren't just like something for a visual thing. You'd open them up, and there were there were surgical diagrams specific to our story. I mean, the detail was off the hook. It was really incredible. So when you're immersed in that, mm-hmm. you you have a lot of support, and and the world is defined, and it becomes just uh, immersion. Yeah, and. Not a lot of discussion, but just a good, playful spirit.
2: What is this device that he has hooked up to himself when he is eating? Uh, I imagine it has to do with something to do with, like, gastro... Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly.
4: <laughs> he, well, he explains it quite briefly, but his, his father has experimented on, on him and basically removed... I don't I can't remember. We shot two years ago, but has removed something that he wanted to see if it was necessary for digestion. And it turns out it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he needed help to uh digest his food. So he's hooked up to this uh machine and of course has these um very fantastic. Uh, Tasmagorical belches. I love it. If you haven't seen the movie, it sounds freaky, but if you're in the movie, it seems quite normal.
2: Oh, and and it gets a great reaction. (laughs) I I particularly love that moment. Now I'm also thinking too about the makeup work that was done. Uh, we talked with the team who did it, uh, but what I want to hear from you, though, especially how it compares to, uh, what you went through on shadow of the vampire as well. Like, can you tell me just a little bit about that process?
4: Sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I tell myself that I should shut up about the makeup process because it's the last thing you want people to think about when they're watching the movie. Sure. And also, it always sounds when you talk about long hours in the chair, it always sounds like you're complaining or you're <laughs> looking for... I,
2: I like to look at it as a hallmark of good work. Oh, uh, okay. you know, Time and effort was put into it.
4: Yeah. And actually, that time and effort helps you because you sit in, the, in that mirror And you can't sleep because what they're doing is intricate enough that you have to stay awake. And you see yourself disappear and this character, at least superficially, come to life. And that is a beautiful day to start out your day of uh, trying to inhabit the character. It's a long process. They have pieces. They glue them together. Then they blend them and paint them. Uh, Not only did I have facial makeup, I had a kind of prosthetic on my body to misshapen my abdomen because I have this um, problem. (laughs) And also my hands, my uh, thumbs are uh, uh, disfigured as well from experimentation because my dear old father in the story experimented on me. I was his guinea pig.
2: Yeah. How does something like that a backstory reveal like that inform then what he's ultimately trying to achieve with Bella? Because I have to imagine there's got to be some layered character work there in terms of what the character ultimately desires from attempting this with Bella.
4: Well, you know, I think he's dedicated to science. He He's mm-hmm. distrustful of emotion. Of course he, he says, you know, he, he says he made a mistake with, Bella he became too emotionally involved he he distrusts emotion he believes in discovery and science and uh, changing the way things are so he's dedicated to that and of course the touching thing about that is perhaps that's a way to be able to stomach his very difficult relationship with his father and the damage that's been done Mm -hmm. to him in this life you know, he's been robbed of a lot of pleasure and uh, and a lot of uh, good living in the service of his father's quest for uh, discovery. Yeah. So rather than lament that, he, in fact, embraces it, which is quite kinky, but is somehow in the spirit of this um, invented Victorian age. Yeah,
2: definitely. R- Rami uh, Youssef is a actor who... I, I, you know, is very young still in his career. You have quite a few scenes opposite him. Yes. Uh, was there any uh, parting words of advice that you offered to him, and what what was he like to work with on this uh, film? Uh,
4: no advice for him. He he's very skilled. All you have to do is watch his stand up and see how skilled he is. Oh yeah, he's hilarious. He's a very sweet, kind guy, sensitive, and he was he was very uh, well cast in this. I think he's. He does a a beautiful job. I I had a lot of scenes with him. And we both went to um, a woman that worked in the coroner's office, and she taught us how to stitch and cut and operate, Wow! which was kind of our bonding experience.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have to imagine something as intricate as that must be really – I mean, that's so much difficult to learn because they're giving you like kind of a crash course 101, I
4: imagine, version of it. They are. They are. And we're and we're cutting on pieces of made and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't see it so much in the movie, but it helps with your imagination. And also in the movie, there is some of that. So when you get there, you better – have some authority. You better have some skill. You better have some confidence in being able to do it. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was good preparation.
2: As someone who has had uh, some of the most, uh, I, I dare I say, iconic uh, deaf scenes in cinema history, from Platoon to uh, oh, from Spider-Man. Uh, where does your spoiler alert deaf scene in Poor Things uh, rank for you? And can you just tell me a little bit about that character kind of coming? full circle by the end
4: Ah, uh, well that that's a spoiler but uh <laughs> I, i've got a friend that always says to me when he says hey your mo- new movie do you die in this one <laughs> and when i say yes he goes oh damn you, you gotta live with one of these <laughs> look i i don't know what to say about this uh i love doing this movie and i i really adore emma she's a great scene partner and it was really fun to see yeah. him make this performance and i liked all the actors we really had a wonderful time that's not always the case i mean you 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 know you like some you like others less i liked everybody on this so whenever you have a death scene mm-hmm. and it's quite a tranquil one and it comes on the heels of of an illness you know that's a very loaded thing so it's done quite simply but um when i see it i'm touched so i think we were able to capture something and maybe that was um maybe that was just a little imagination and my my you know love for these other people you know
2: yeah i think that comes across because i was very emotionally struck by how meaningful and, and profound that
4: scene f- felt. It's very simple but w- one thing that I like about the character and you don't know this until you see the movie really you aren't conscious of this when you're doing it but so much of the movie is fun and kind of comic and 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 surreal that the relationship between the Bella character and my uh character Godwin Baxter is is touching. I think mm-hmm. it's it's complicated and it's uh, there's a lot of heart there. And I, I, I think in the end, that's what I, I I like about it.
2: Now, you had, like you said, such a great time working on this project with so many of these people. Uh, we're going to get to see you do it again uh, next year with and as well. That's um, true. So that's I, I, I imagine uh, that must be very exciting that you're having back to back years of good connections with
4: great people you're absolutely right and uh yeah and nobody has been talking about that so i won't talk about it either but
2: totally fine
4: i was very happy to work with uh some of the same people that i worked with on uh on four uh, poor things and i'm really excited to see that movie as well
2: Absolutely. I think we all are. Hopefully uh, you're now becoming a uh, go to uh, your ghost uh, actor on call in the future. Uh, But we always look forward to everything that you do, Willem. Like I said before, you're so versatile. You can do, I think, anything, truly, (laughs) whether it's on stage or on the screen. And um, it's just been great to just spend a few minutes chatting with you about your role in this film. And I wish you the best of luck, sir.
4: Great. Thank you so much. Be well. Take care.
2: Ciao. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the star and producer for Yorgos Lanthimos' new film, Poor Things, Emma Stone, along with Yorgos Lanthimos, the director of the film, Emma Sassek's interview with the screenwriter, Tony McNamara, and my interview with another of the film's stars, Willem Dafoe, all here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Poor Things is now currently playing in limited release from Searchlight Pictures and will expand later on this month. And is up for your consideration in all eligible categories for the 96th annual Academy Awards including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Emma Stone, Best Supporting Actor for Willem Dafoe, and Best Adapted Screenplay for Tony McNamara.